Welcome to the Waukesha Bible Church Podcast. We believe the Bible tells a single story, and at the center of that story is Jesus. If you like what you hear today, additional sermons, teaching sessions, and written material can be found on our website at waukeshawbible.org. We hope you enjoy today's episode. I wish to greet you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom God the Father has raised from the dead. I trust your week has gone well. We are praying for you on a regular basis, and we trust that in due time, God will allow us to gather once more. You and I are living in uncharted waters. We are in a massive body of water wrought with monsters, both real and imaginary. We have no idea where the current will take us. We see no land. Our provisions will carry us only so far. The storms we face batter our boat, and we are not sure it will hold. What if we didn't have a map or a sexton or an ability to read the stars? What if there were no true north? What then? How would we survive? It would appear that we would be at the mercies of fate tossed to and fro without any sense of direction or destiny, but God. You and I have a map, a sextant, and stars. We have a true north. We know that our hard core is that God is in control. We know that that liquid core is that there is nothing new under the sun. And between those two cores, we have formed our true north. So let us in our study of Exodus 14, reorient ourselves and get our bearings. We pick up the story in chapters 12, 13, 14, and 15. Israel has been in Egypt for 430 years. What began as a favorable relationship centuries earlier with Joseph was now marked by cruelty and exploitation. Pharaoh sought to stop the rise of power among the Israelites and made the decision to kill all newborn Jewish male children. God would reverse this decision and kill all firstborn Egyptian male children in the 10th plague. Although you and I could read this as a standalone moment between two nations, God is giving us a picture of something far greater and far grander and far more glorious than we could fully appreciate in the pieces. In the Passover of Exodus chapter 12 and 13, we have our justification. And in the Exodus of chapter 14, we have our sanctification. These two moments are not to be seen in isolation of each other, but rather as one event. All those who celebrated the Passover made it through the parting of the Red Sea. What God has begun, he will finish. Both of these rescues were by grace alone, through faith alone, in God alone. The people of God proved themselves undeserving and unable. And from this story, we continue to hear, you can't, but God can, and Jesus did. God is moving his vision forward with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea by fulfilling his promise to provide a seed and a sacrifice. This is the language of our passage. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 4, the Bible reads, I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his armies. 
and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. In verse 17, the Bible reads, As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army. And then verse 18, Then the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. What is interesting about the word honored is that it comes from the same word group as the word glory. Notice just a handful of these occurrences. In Exodus 16, verse 10, it says that the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Chapter 24, verse 16, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai. In chapter 40, verses 34 and 35, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The primary point of all of Scripture is for the glory of God. And you and I cannot forget the story. God will be honored. God will be glorified. And when the dust of the horizontal settles, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And it will be to the glory of God the Father. My desire is that we would look at Exodus chapter 14. I'd like to read it in its entirety. And then there are five simple points that we will consider. I will begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 14. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this that we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen or select chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen and his army, and overtook them and encamped at the sea by Pi-Haharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the Lord who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Let me have a short word of prayer. Our Father, we have read your word, and we are now asking that the Spirit of God, your Spirit, would take the word of God, your word, and do a sure work in the people of God, your people. Bless our study of your words to us, and may we not fear, may we stand still, and may we see the salvation of the Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. There are five points that I'd like us to see from this particular passage of Scripture, from this event. First of all, in the first four verses of Exodus chapter 4, we see the purpose of God is clear. God tells Moses exactly what is going to happen, and it happens exactly the way the Lord told him. We are not ignorant of what is happening. Nothing that we are encountering falls outside of God's control and plan. Again, I do not fully understand this, but my inability to understand does not negate my need to believe. God told Moses why it will happen. God said to Moses, I will harden their hearts and I will get the glory. And they will know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9 in Habakkuk 2 14 tells us that the entire earth will one day be filled with the glory of his knowledge as the waters cover the sea. That is what we are seeing. That is what we are hearing in our text. God is going to be glorified. This is the storyline of the Bible. So the purpose of God in all of this is clear. 
God's promise is to deliver his people and to destroy his enemies. Every one of Israel's enemies, as we will see throughout the biblical narrative, are foreshadows of an enemy. We will see a pattern carried forward throughout the word of God until the final enemy of sin and death is fully and completely destroyed. But the first thing we see in our story in verses 1 through 4 is that the purpose of God is indeed clear. It is for his glory. The second thing we see is that the enemy we face is real. There are four notable elements to this idea of the enemy. First of all, a formidable army. The text tells us that there are 600 select or excellent chariots in addition to all of the chariots in Egypt. There are tens of thousands of foot soldiers of infantry in the Egyptian army, and they are now confronting the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 says that there were 600,000 men in Israel, but these were slaves, not soldiers, according to chapter 13, verse 17. Thus, the magnitude of their problem. The children of Israel were incapable of defeating the armies of Egypt a formidable army. The second thing we read of is an impassable barrier. We all know the story of the Red Sea crossing, but it wasn't simply a body of water, but an impassable barrier. Extending from the Red Sea was a channel of water, a series of lakes of smaller bodies of water that formed an identified barrier or border between the nation of Israel and everything east of that barrier. For Israel to get out of Egypt, it had to break through the barrier. The third thing we see is an inadequate resource. Israel itself was incapable of fighting the Egyptian army or crossing the Red Sea. And then the final thing we see concerning the enemies that we face is an understandable response. Both Pharaoh and the Israelites have the same statement or question. What have we done Why did we let them go? Why did we leave Egypt? We see that the Israelites feared the Egyptians in chapter 14, verse 10 and verse 25. The Egyptians will then fear the Israelites and the God of the Israelites. And then finally in verse 31, the nation of Israel will fear and believe the Lord. But the response of the Israelites to the enemy is a real response. If you and I placed ourselves in their situation, we would probably respond in the same manner. We would be terrified at what we are encountering, and that is often true in much of life. Verse 15 and inside of our text suggests that Moses himself struggled with what was happening because the Lord says to Moses, why do you cry to me? So the first thing we see inside the text is that the purpose of God is clear. The events that we encounter in life are for his glory. We fully recognize that there is coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, and it will be to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of God is clear, and the enemies, however, that we face in life are real. We also see inside of our story is that the promises of God are sure. God says to his people, fear not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Like the covenants, God's promises are singular. God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, to provide a seed that would deliver his people from the ultimate threat of sin and death. 
And that deliverance would be not just through a seed, but a blood sacrifice. A sacrifice that would atone for their sins through a substitutionary sacrifice. And what we have to do is believe this. God is providing a way, the means for our deliverance. But consider the invitation to believing the promise. There is this command in response to their fear. I have read from several viable resources that the most repeated command in the Bible is, do not fear, fear not, be not dismayed. I haven't counted for myself, but I have heard it said, fear not is in the Bible 365 times, one for every day of the year. So God is continually telling us, based on the promises that he has made, to not fear, to be still, and to see the salvation of the Lord. We see in verse 15 that he says, be quiet. Be silent. Stop your moving around. God is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. But there's a reason why you and I are not to fear. Our text says in verses 13 and 14 that he is going to work in our behalf. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord is going to fight for us. That is the reason why we need not fear. It is the reason why we can stand firm. It is the reason why in the midst of our enemies, we can be quiet. We can be silent. God is going to work for us today and he is going to destroy our enemies. I am not here to tell you it is going to get better because we have the best minds working on it or the most powerful government or the wealthiest nation with financial resources to soften the impact. I am here to tell you that there is a God in heaven who sits on a throne and is flawlessly executing his plan to transform our world so that heaven and earth are one. I am here to tell you that God will work for you today and that he is and has delivered his people and destroyed his enemies. God is keeping his promise to provide a seed and a sacrifice. Israel's preservation is in fulfillment and completion of these promises. That is why we are to hear, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. When God finishes his work, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and it will be to the glory of God the Father. When God works, their enemies and fears were destroyed. God's power and glory be displayed. Their faith and belief would be deepened. And their worship and praise would be demonstrated. In chapter 15, it is interesting that God brings this great miracle to and through the nation of Israel. He justifies them in the Passover sacrifice and he sanctifies them through the parting of the Red Sea. You have these two moments, these two events in which the power of God is being manifested. And as a consequence of God's actions, the worship and praise of Israel is demonstrated. Notice chapter 15, verse 1. It reads, Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. Look at verse 20 of Exodus 15. Then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. Their worship and praise were demonstrated. Chapter 15 is a a confession. It is creedal in nature. We sing of what is true. Through song, we put forward our faith in the God who delivers his people and destroys his enemies. Every week that we gather and sing together, this victory song is sung. 
But here's what I want us to see inside this story of both the Passover and then the parting of the Red Sea. The fourth point in all of this is that the Son of God is powerful. It is interesting that they believed Moses. In verse 31 of chapter 14, we read, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord. And I believe people fearing and believing are synonymous. And then notice how it ends. And in his servant, Moses. I was a little puzzled as to why and in his servant, Moses, until I saw the antitype, Jesus. Just as Moses was used by God to lead his people to the promised land, so also Jesus, the greater than Moses, was used by God to lead his people to the promised land. Verse 15 says that Moses stretched out his hand and divided the Red Sea for the deliverance of his people. Verse 26 says he stretched out his hand so that the waters would indeed come back and destroy his enemies. When Jesus Christ stretched out his hands on the cross, his people were delivered and his enemies were destroyed. Just as in the Passover, the nation of Israel was saved, so also in our Passover, Jesus, are the people of God saved. Jesus Christ is our justification. He is our Passover. Isaiah 53 verse 7 says that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Passover. John chapter 1 verse 29 says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 says that Jesus Christ is our Passover Lamb. Through Him the seed promise is fulfilled and the blood picture is completed. But not only is Jesus our Passover, He is also our sanctification or the one who parts the Red Sea. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says that Jesus Christ is our sanctification. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 10 describes Jesus Christ as our sanctification. Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is our intercessor. He is our high priest. He does for us and continues to do for us what we could not and cannot do for ourselves. So inside the story, we understand that God's purpose is clear. He is going to be glorified. We fully recognize as well that we have an enemy that is real. And we are incapable and unable to defeat that enemy. We know that the promises of God are sure. God's going to fulfill his promise in the person and work of Jesus Christ and that the Son of God is powerful. Jesus Christ is both our justification and our sanctification. But there's one more thing I want us to see from the story. The people of God are predictable. Let us not think for one moment that we can outgrow the gospel. Let us not think for one moment that we move past our need for the gospel. God is not growing us toward isolation or independence, but toward a deeper and greater dependency on him. Follow me as I read chapter 15, verses 22 through 24. Then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came back to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Friends, three days pass. Three days since the Passover. 
three days since the Exodus, and the people of God begin to grumble. Three days. Why is it that we gather every week? Because we are so prone to wander. Our faith in Christ and walk with God is not a one and done idea. Life right now is an emotional roller coaster. We do not know how long or how hard this pandemic will last or the resultant financial fallout. But here is what is true God is always calling us out. And he is always saying to us, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord. So every day we must come back to the story. Every day the gospel shouts out to us, it is finished. Every week we need to gather and tell ourselves and each other and those without that Jesus is both Lord and Savior and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. We must review and rehearse the story over and over and over again. And why? Because we forget. And in forgetting, the gospel is lost. My daughter lives in New Zealand. And where she lives is completely removed from any concentration of people. In fact, the closest grouping of any people is probably an hour away. As a consequence of this, The nights are incredibly dark. But when you go outside and the sky is clear, the stars are absolutely brilliant. The display is spectacular. We are in a very dark period of time. But let me assure you that the stars are visible. And from those stars, we can chart our course. We are not without a map, a true north. We are not without the stars. So let us be assured as we look at this text and all passages within the scripture that God is in control. He is doing exactly what he wants in the heavens and on earth. That is not to minimize the size of our problems, but God is in control. And God has made specific promises and he is a promise-keeping God. And all of the promises of God come to their fullest expression in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is God's final answer. We know where all this is heading. God will get the glory. This is God's why. Why are we encountering all these things? We are encountering all these things in order that God might get the glory. In this season of uncharted waters, you might lose a little or you might lose a lot of your creaturely comforts. But one thing is true. You shall never lose the Lord. Let us close in prayer. Our Father, we thank you for these moments you've afforded us. May we use them well in stabilizing your people. May we use this to reorient ourselves. May we use it to reset what we are experiencing in an unsettled world. And Father, in all of it, may we see Jesus as your final answer that he is both our Passover and the parting of the Red Sea. May we see in him all we need, both in this life and in the life which is to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.